What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. WebmasterRadio.fm presents a show custom-built to give you everything you need to build your business on the web. WebmasterRadio.fm presents CEO Coach. From funding to finance, set up the staffing. Our CEO coaches break down the art of business development from the ground up. Now here to get you started are the experts of online business startup, management, and development. The founders of Outlines Venture Group, Jillian Music and Ann Kennedy. Welcome to CEO Coach. I'm Jillian Music, co-founder of Moz and Brett Approved, and CEO at Outlines Venture Group, as well as general manager at the Sibylla Masters Fund. I'm here with my friend and colleague, Ann Kennedy, my partner at Outlines Venture Group and the Sibylla Masters Fund, and author of Global Search Engine Marketing. Together, we're serial entrepreneurs helping online companies to launch, grow, pivot, and thrive. Find out more at outlinesventure.com. Hello, Anne. What's on your mind today? Hi, Jillian. Well, what I have on my mind today is fundraising. Honestly, doesn't everyone every day? <laughs> Indeed. I think our number one topic that we ever hear is fundraising. So what part of fundraising do you want to talk about today? Well, what I want to talk about today is how to raise capital other than by equity good old-fashioned equity, that is providing shares in your startup to investors in return for cash. So here's why. I was talking the other day with uh, startup founders at Demo Day for the most recent cohort at Comcast Lift Labs powered by Techstars. Yep, it's a mouthful, but that's how they say it. Comcast yeah. Lift Labs. Can we say that three times backwards? I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's how they say it. Comcast Lift Labs powered by Techstars. I just wanted to pause and give a shout out to Comcast because half of this year's cohort founders were women or minorities. Way to go, Lift Labs. Powered right. by Techstars. <laughs> yes, I'm actually quite impressed. That's good. Yeah. Um, and sadly that we are impressed in 2019, almost 2020. Uh, but truly, it is a move in the right direction. Um, so the, all those of you out there, you know, who are complaining that one cannot find such uh, companies, nonsense. Comcast has already done it. They certainly have. So after the presentations, as I circled the exhibits, I was talking to founders, in particular, the women and the minorities. And one of the things I was asking them, because they're, what they were talking about largely was product, and that's great, but you know, I wanted to know where they were going with their companies. Um, certainly, if they've been involved in Techstars and uh, coached by some of the mega talent that Comcast brought in to coach them, they would should have a better idea of what their company should be. So because you and I are uh, venture capitalists, I wanted to know about if they were raising and if mm -hmm. so, how much and what was next. And I can sure you could you can guess where I'm going with this. In the yep. first place, they all mentioned a relatively small sum. I know, mm -hmm. 750K to one mil or so tops. Um, and I wanted to point out that most of these solutions had very large uh, potential. And none had considered anything other funds for equity. In fact, 
that swap seemed kind of like news to them. And it's not the first time I've heard this response. So somewhere in startup school, our budding founders hear about only raising funds with equity. Why is this? Why do other forms of raising seem to be news to them? Well, it could it be that, you know, most of what founders are hearing about is funding for equity? Of course it is, right? It, it's the hatchet, uh, the, the scalpel job, I keep saying, right? For, for well over 50, 70 years, who knows what, right? Equity funding has existed. It funds innovation. So it was the tool we had, so it's the tool we use. And in truth, why would a venture capitalist, you know, open doors to other things? They do what they do. If you're a hammer, it's a nail, right? <laughs> so, right. Right. So they know what they're looking for, and they would like every company on the planet to look for that. And they're only going to fund that 0.06%, or maybe even less by now. I don't know, because this burgeoning of entrepreneurship needs ever more people trying to do these things, but you know, not necessarily more VCs you know, spending that much more money. I think it was about 137.5 billion last year was invested. And, you know, a few years ago before that, it was only 88 or 89 billion. So, yes, it's growing, but in terms of volume of capital and so on, but most of venture capital goes to the late stage deals. And that leaves just a few billion at the most in scraps for those very early stage companies. And most entrepreneurs, never mind anybody else, right? They're not really thinking about that. Yeah, 137.5 billion, surely I can get some, right? Not necessarily. So yeah, it, it, they keep hearing about the same stuff because it's the only stuff being touted. So I, th I think you're on the right track here, Anne. Yeah, and I think also it's part of the gleam in our founders' eyes, many of whom we already know are product wizards, inventors, engineers, and mm -hmm haven't got the tools or the temperament to really build a business, which is why we want them to bring in um, those kinds of business brains into their companies as executors, as every other successful company has. So, right. so, so hang on, just before you continue on this, though, I think, you know, I'm going to throw something out there that's, I don't know, maybe people have heard me say it before. If you're really raising anything under maybe 10 or 15 million, there's no reason for you to be at venture capital, right? Maybe you're going to raise an angel round and then you'll go to VC round and so on and so forth, right? But the monsters kind of just end run the whole damn thing. They'll have a few mega angels that get them off the ground. Then they hit the VC market and it's all over, right? You just boom right through it. You blast. If you're not going to do that, truly conventional equity is not for you. This is not 1999 anymore. It's not 1982 anymore. This is a completely different landscape. So, so these conversations. You're raising a few hundred thousand to a few million. This is for you. So these conversations and hearing you say that are really getting me to thinking. You know, we, we last talked about alternative methods of fundraising two years ago. Can you believe it? Time flies, hasn't it? Yeah. And I think it's time for an update because especially you and I have evolved our own thinking on the topic of funding vehicles other than equity as we've been launching the Sibylla Masters Fund. So only a fraction of a percentage of companies get VC funding. And I have heard you said most of them should not take it as you just mm -hmm. did. Would you like to expand a little bit more for <laughs> our listeners? Yes, absolutely. And I'll repeat 0.06%. 
of startups receive VC funding. So note that this does not include angel funding. And the minute you take venture funds for equity, you're agreeing to sell your company because that's what VCs do. They get their returns at the end of the game, sale or IPO. And in the case of VCs, when they can provide further returns for their LPs, you know, and the investors and their funds and so on, the only time they can do that is at the end of your game. So after all, you know, venture capitalists are running businesses themselves, so they have to look to that. And so here's more, another angle on this argument. Recent research by the Center for American Entrepreneurship crunched years of pitch book data and found that less than 4% of VC funded companies have a successful exit in eight to 10 years, such as an M&A or an IPO. Were the VCs wrong about the potential of the other 96? Yeah, it's, I spend a lot of time thinking about that. I actually talked to somebody just, I don't know, two days ago or so on, um, who said, yes, absolutely, they just did. And I said, I'm not so sure. I think they used the wrong funding models. Now, she was quite right. For equity, truly, that was the wrong decision, if you will, right? If they could increase the number of companies that had successful exits for their funds from, say, 4% to 5% or 5% to 6%, it's a significant improvement over the fund's current returns, right? So I guess she was kind of right. But really, many companies can become successful and sustainable businesses without holding out for that big at least 10x and you know 100x and 400x sometimes you know in 10 to 15 years so why don't we talk about how that works in the next segment i think that's a great idea before we go to the break let's note that many of the founders i talked to at demo day and indeed, many more I talk to are past their seed rounds and have product in the market and customers. So we can safely say they're well past ideation and seed funding. Most said they were raising funds for marketing and distribution, music to mm -hmm. our ears. And some also said they wanted to build out their tech to support more customers as well. Certainly some were still at the angel stage, not ready for venture funding. However, when I asked them what was next after their current raise, many named a much larger sum than they would be raising, that they would be raising next. And this suggests to me that their current raise is not enough to get where they want to go and they know it, but maybe they're afraid. So a more productive ask would be to fold the larger number into the current raise and then stage out the funding schedule. Absolutely. Um, and we talked about this just recently on one of our podcasts, you know, about this pattern matching. Don't go out and tell a VC you're raising 500 now or, or you know, a couple of million now and then, right? If you're raising a million bucks and then you expect to raise 10 a year from now, just say we're raising $11 million and we're closing the first million in 90 days. This does several things. It signals your investors that you're going big and you have the stability to do so. And you have a clear vision of where your company is headed. And last and certainly not least, asking this way sets you up for follow-on conversations and investments. So importantly, it puts you in the correct frame of mind yourself to build your company with an idea toward its growth that is more than just this wishful gleam in your eye. And frankly, this is how the big guys in the Valley have been doing it for decades. 
Yeah. We must take a break for our sponsors. After the break, let's talk more about alternative methods for raising funds for your startup. This is CEO Coach, and we'll be right back. More on how to get your business on the web with CEO Coach after this. It passes before it's noticed. A slight rising of the eyebrows, a widening of the eyes. It may be accompanied by an almost imperceptible inhalation. The heart adds a beat like a quiet exclamation point on the experience. Within a tenth of a second, the reaction has passed, but not without leaving its mark. Someone found what they're looking for. Does your website deliver impulses to act? It can. Intended Consequences is the podcast for digital marketers who see their job as changing hearts and minds. If you're frustrated, bored, or in a rut, it's time to spread your wings with me, Brian Massey, and my guests. Find out how successful, curious, creative, and data-driven marketers are making a difference on purpose. Visit IntendedPodcast.com or find us where you get your podcasts. Intended Consequences. Marketing on purpose. Ready to do a podcast for your business? Make that podcast elevate to enterprise level. Let webmasterradio.fm expedite and execute your podcast to build your brand and broaden your customer base. Webmasterradio.fm has worked with the world's biggest tech brands, Google, Yahoo, and Bing, and have worked with fast-growing brands like ShipStation and GoDaddy. Now it's your turn. Contact brasco at wmr.fm and rush your enterprise-level podcast into production at a very reasonable rate. Email brasco at wmr.fm. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. We're back with Jillian Music and Ann Kennedy on CEO Coach, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Welcome back to CEO Coach. We're talking today about alternatives to parting with equity when you fund your startup. And here's a short list uh, of some other ways to fund company growth. Uh, revenue sharing and other debt, dividends, licensing and royalties. Let's dig in and talk about each one. But first, Jillian, what are the benefits of funding your company with other than equity? Oh, many of them. But first, you get to keep more of your company and you keep a clean cap table, which will be useful when or if you decide you are going for equity funding on follow-on rounds as you grow. You'll have more ability to release equity to investors without diluting the value of your shares. Right. So, you know, when you get to the VCs, finally, you want to own as much of your company as possible. Gives you more leverage. Secondly, thinking in terms of a capitalization stack, right, rather than just uh, an IT stack and then we raise equity, you think of it as a capitalization stack. You don't just use one form of IT, right? It's a whole stack. This diversifies your funding sources and it makes for greater resiliency and access to resources. Finally, 
funding with a debt or revenue share, right, pays returns to your investors earlier. They don't have to wait for that big sale or IPO in uh, 10 years. So this is good for investors, of course, but it's even better for focusing you on running your company profitably. And that turn, which in turn, of course, means that your company has a better prospect for avoiding that 96% failure rate that Anne just mentioned earlier in the show. Yes, this is important. And perhaps most the, the most disruptive aspect of choosing alternative funding sources, especially in light of what you were saying before about how uh, conventional VC operates. And perhaps it's a little bit hard to pin down, but I'm going to wait in and try. Looking for fast growth, that is that sharp hoppy, hockey stick upswing and rushing to spend as much as you can your famous burn rate to get there in hopes of a 10x payout eventually. That seems to me to be a large dose of avoidance, avoidance, in essence, kicking the can ROI can down the road. When you commit to paying interest on a loan or sharing a percentage of your margin with investors, your immediate concern is how to run the company in such a way as to meet your obligations. It is clear that making decisions to support this goal will build a better, more resilient and sustainable company. At least it's clear to me. <laughs> Furthermore, <laughs> your investors will enjoy payouts much sooner. And when their returns equal their initial investment in, say, I don't know, three years, then uh, they're. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe four, five, six years. Remember, okay. take three years to use it and maybe another two, three years to get it back. So, yeah, we'll be realistic. <laughs> okay, on. okay. Yeah. So, maybe six years, they can redeploy that capital well, while they continue to receive further interest from your operations. Yeah. On the flip side, there are times when a large infusion of capital in anticipation of rapid growth in a fast growing market, often tech, is appropriate. And this is especially true when com uh, competition looms large, the market opportunity is explosively large, and in tech, time is often money. And having sufficient resources to grow quickly and get your products into a broad distribution before the next new company does is kind of important. So I get that. And, you know, before we close out our conversation today, I'm just putting this in the water here. I also want to talk about my, you know, first question. I keep saying this again. The first question of capitalization stack is what can I sell today to build what I must tomorrow? But continue. I, I don't want to uh, take us off track here. I'm just putting it out there. We're going to talk about that. That is absolutely on track. And we are going to talk about okay. it a little bit further on. Um, so, indeed, about uh, uh, having sufficient resources, I'm reminded of uh, Louis Gerstner, who was uh, the mm -hmm. CEO of IBM when I was consulting with them, and he famously insisted, this was in the 90s, I know, old days, um, that IBM cannibalize its own products before their competition good. This did. This was good for IBM, and which was already at the time a leading tech innovator with decades of performance. Our startups have a long way to go before they become like IBM, and honestly, few will. That said, there is ample opportunity to build successful, sustainable companies for those who seek funding that keeps their focus on doing just that, instead of pouring more and more cash with an eye on far-off exits that I would add are sometimes uh, few and far between. Building companies yes, that, that would be true. 
building companies that quantify their success by valuing them according to the amounts they have raised from investors is setting up a false KPI, in my opinion, that has nothing to do with performance. In short, a bunch of houses of cards this, that, as we've seen, collapse 96% of the time. We can do better for ourselves, our founders, and our communities. And now I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> okay. So as we talk about things like rev shares and other debt, dividend models, licensing and royalty agreements, and so on, let's break it down, Anne, shall we? Okay. Why don't we start with revenue share? It's a form of debt financing in which everybody understands it's, you know, it's pretty straightforward. You borrow some money and you're going to pay it back with interest over a given term. The revenue share portion is a little bit different. It kicks in when you achieve a preset level of profit or even gross uh, revenues, right? In this way, you repay the debt to your investors. Uh, say, for an example, uh, you agree that when you reach 100000 per month, uh, monthly recurring revenue, you'll take the top 15% or maybe even 20 or as little as 5%. Depends on your own gross margins, right? Um, and you'll pay them back until paid in full. And if they lend you, I don't know, a full million bucks, a whole bunch of folks, right? Then you will pay them back, say, two million. But if it takes you longer than the agreement, maybe longer than three or four or five years, whatever it is, you'll pay them 3x back or 2.5. Again, this is the idea of taking a scalpel to the job. You can carve it so that it works extremely well for you and for your investors. And nobody has any illusions about how it all comes together right? A revenue share agreement is a little bit like what Lighter Capital does right here in Seattle. And I know there are companies around the country doing this as well. They say if you already have 15,000 or more monthly recurring revenue on a subscription-based model, they will open up lines of credit that you can use as growth capital, right? And you pay them back whatever their fees are, but they are at the point where you already have that monthly recurring revenue. A revenue share agreement as investment uh, usually happens even before you reach that number. So it's going to take a couple of years more uh, for investors to get their money back, and it's going to be higher risk. You haven't got that monthly recurring revenue yet, right? So the sums you'll pay back will be higher and commensurate with the risk they, uh, your investors are taking. So to make this work, you must have complete transparency and trust between the investor and the startup. You should have that anyway, but bear in mind, you will be opening your books to your investors on a regular basis. Now, it also means this revenue sharing that you'll be putting less money back into the company with every sale. So there must be sufficient gross margins that even if you take, I don't know, 10%, 15% gross margin off every buck you make, you still have enough gross margin that you will again, continue to grow your company. All right, it's important to understand how this is going to affect your company long-term. True. If you project an exit in just a few years, you may want to pull all your profits back into your company. So just be clear about how you measure your progress towards that goal. Now, how about dividends? Dividends, concept as old as investing. Looks very much like the public dividends market here. When a company declares a dividend, it's paid to investors. So investors are going to buy stock from you as if it were equity, right? They're going to buy stock and you take their capital. And then uh, you take usually a kind of small to commensurate kind of uh, uh, salary or something, which is fine because salary is the most expensive you know, tax uh, you'll ever pay. So you take a bit of a salary. And when you wish to take more out of the company, 
you being a stockholder and your investors being stockholders, you declare a dividend and all of you participate in it. So you can fund your startup with investors by establishing that dividends will be paid, under what conditions will be paid, when you expect that, and so on. All of those things will be put into the agreement. Now, like revenue sharing, this method takes a predetermined portion of your profits and then pays them out to investors. Right? Again, when we reach a million dollars run rate of whatever, uh, we will declare a dividend in October of that year, uh, assuming that the last prior six months do whatever, you know, those kinds of things. You will look at the financial health of your company. It must be stable or increasing. At that point, you declare the dividend, and that way your investors know what to expect when these benchmarks are hit. At the same time, of course, you take your capital out at the same time, both of you profit from it or, or benefit from it. And taking out dividends is a lower, usually lower tax bracket uh, for most folks. So in a larger, more traditional sense, right, declaring a dividend means your company is doing well. <laughs> okay. Yep, indeed. So you mentioned this before, I think when you talked about wanting to talk about when you have something to uh, sell to raise money for your future growth. To me, that begins to say licensing and royalties. How do those work? It could be, but it can also be things like as simple as consulting. So I'll get that one out of the way right here. The first thing you ask is what can I sell today to build to what I must tomorrow? Often you can sell services that will have sufficient gross margins beyond the labor that will be required to provide that service so that you can collect that capital and put it towards a product build. Service to product is a time-honored tradition. And if you're not going out for massive VC money because you don't want to be one of that 96%, right? this is a really good way to go. All right. Now, when you have something you can sell now, right, to raise funds for future growth, and it's something someone else wants to use, well, perhaps you can license your product to them, right? You can collect the fees kind of in your sleep. I was just talking to someone who wanted to make uh, kind of a card uh, set, not even a card game, divination things and so on. This is certainly not going to be a multi-billion dollar industry, right? But these things are sold like tarot cards and so on. This is another kind of card deck. I told her, go find the companies that already uh, print and publish and, and sell these kinds of decks and do a very nice job. Find someone you can you know, work with that way and license them the rights to, uh, to produce whatever you've produced. If you're already seeing some traction and success and interest in your stuff, don't become a manufacturer. You have to do manufacturing and logistics and stocking and taking uh, returns and who knows what. It's a whole other world beyond ideation and design. Let somebody else do it. This is where things like royalty agreements come into place. Now, at much larger levels, royalty is excellent for things like um, you know, uh, proprietary uh, intellectual properties, medicine, pharma come to mind, uh, operations in ag tech, all of those kinds of things. It's a process that might be valuable, but you certainly don't have the billions and billions it takes to uh, manufacture this stuff or to even deploy it in business. Others do. You find channel partners that will take that piece of it and just pay you royalty. So that's how it works. Uh, it's in a way the licensing is what we did at Helium because we had a sort a core software 
product that powered the peer ranking for our writers community. And we licensed it to a spinoff that did the same in the indie music space, uh, which provided us some steady revenue as we grew uh, Helium itself. So yeah. that's really great to know how um, the royalties can work. And sadly, we need to go to another break. So we're going to take our final break for our sponsors, and then we'll come back to summarize all these tips we've been handing out um, in this episode of CEO Coach. We'll be right back. More on how to get your business on the web with CEO Coach after this. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs sends you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. You are now tuned in to the world's largest online radio podcast network for internet marketers looking to dominate the B2B marketplace. WebmasterRadio.fm WebmasterRadio.fm is home to some of the most respected authorities in all aspects of internet marketing, from SEO to affiliate marketing to social media, e-commerce, mobile marketing, and so much more. Our hosts travel to all stretches of the world and speak to the impact players that are affecting our industry on air, on demand, and available on every mobile device that you can imagine. This is WebmasterRadio.fm. WebmasterRadio.fm. We're everywhere. Miami may be the sun and fun capital of the world, but it's also home to the largest literary festival in the U.S. Don't miss the Miami Book Fair, a week-long festival featuring more than 600 authors from all over the world with readings, signings, and panels capped off by a three-day street fair. Find books in English, Spanish, and Creole for every interest and every age, from biographies and novels to poetry and comics. This year, come meet poets Richard Blanco, Reginald Dwayne Betts, and Joy Harjo, award-winning novelists T.C. Boyle, Susan Choi, Edwidge Dentica, Taya Obrecht, Julie Oranger, Leonard Pitts, and Karen Russell, plus authors exploring issues of the day such as Eve Ensler, Alex Kutlowitz, Danny Shapiro, Daryl Pickney, Ambassador Samantha Power, George Wilt, and hundreds more. Take the little ones to Children's Alley for hands-on activities, characters, and storytelling. Enjoy music, food, and fun for the whole family right on the downtown Miami-Dade College campus, November 17th through the 24th. For details, schedules, and tickets, visit MiamiBookFair.com. We're back with Jillian Music and Ann Kennedy on CEO Coach, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Welcome back to CEO Coach. We've been talking today about how to find alternate ways investors can fund your growth without taking your equity. Revenue sharing and other debt, dividends and licensing agreements, royalties are all good ways to consider depending on the stage that your product is in and what um, you can, uh, the stage of growth of your company. Um, 
This also keeps your company focused on profitable growth rather than growth for growth's sake. So Jillian, which are the top tip tips we would like our founders to pull out of this? Well, our top tips, I would say the first one again is what can I sell today to build what I must tomorrow? Okay. Often uh, when you think about crowdfunding, that's perfectly fine as well, right? I bought a bicycle, an electric bicycle off a crowdfunding thing. I put down my thousand or 1200 bucks, whatever, it was quite a bit for a product that I wasn't really sure was going to get built. I took my shot at it. And sure enough, it took like, I don't know, close to two years, I think it was, instead of the eight or nine months they promised, but a bicycle showed up. So people are willing to put down quite a bit to, in the hope that they will get the product that they would like to have. You're building something the world wants, try crowdfunding. There's a whole world of, of things you need to know about it. The first being that you should have a whole large group behind you. Uh, they kind of have this raving fan group that wants to start uh, contributing to your crowdfunding. And of course, we'll amplify that conversation. But you can go learn all about crowdfunding. It's a good way to do with product. What can I sell today for others? Usually it's around services, but sometimes, again, around monetizing a piece of intellectual property that you don't want to build out. That's when you do things like royalty agreements. That's my hot tip. What can I sell today? I think that's a really hot tip to go, go with. Um, I'm not sure I can top that one, except that I would say, if you have healthy enough margins to consider a revenue share, be sure you provide complete transparency for your investor to avoid um, unpleasantness, shall we say, down the road. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Revenue share models are great. They keep your cap table completely clean. It is a loan, right? Craft them carefully. Get some counsel around it. Uh, you know, ask attorneys, uh, ask accountants, make sure you have good projections, those kinds of things. Many folks are doing this already. Um, I know that uh, here in Seattle, for example, the Alliance of Angels did a very nice revenue share agreement uh, kind of loan, if you will, uh, to a gaming company. Gaming companies have notoriously high uh, gross margins. I think this was like 85% or something. Once you launch the game, off it goes, right? And they got paid back from top line 15% or 20% uh, of the top line revenue. The revenue came quickly. They made a good choice and it worked out quite fine. I think it was a two or three X uh, deal and so on. So sometimes they're very nuanced. Sometimes they're pretty straightforward. You should be the right kind of company to have this kind of revenue share process. If you're doing you know, almost services as a software, uh, as, excuse me, software as a service, you may have those gross revenues, but if you're doing stuff that's closer to service, uh, you don't have those kind of gross uh, margins. So I'm sorry, it was gross margins I was talking about, not gross revenues, but you get the idea. Uh, make sure you're a good match for the kind of alternative funding you're looking for. Do we have a third one here? I do, and it's to urge our our CEO coach listeners, our founders, to think about capitalization stacks rather than uh, simple investing and giving out equity. I see far too many companies who have already, even in their angel stage, given away way too much of their um, equity. And at the end of the day, they're going to wind up either highly diluted or owning about 5% of their company, which is kind of sad considering. It's true. And again, it does explode companies this way. 
So um, I would agree, a capitalization stack is about understanding the full suite of finance services available to you. It's not just about looking at one. It's not just a debt instrument, not just a revenue share, not just equity and so on. Look at the whole thing, work with an accountant, work with somebody who really understands projections and growth and see what it's going to take. There's nuance to this game. And on that, uh, we have to say that's it for this episode of CEO Coach. We'd like to thank our producers at Webmaster Radio for their support. You can download these shows for free at webmasterradio.fm forward slash shows forward slash CEO dash coach. Also at iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and many other places around the web. You can find links and more on facebook.com. Our name of our page is CEO Coach Podcast. Stop by and hit the like button so we know you were there and tell us what you'd like to hear about on CEO Coach. Thanks for joining us. I'm Ann Kennedy with Jillian Music, and you can find out more about how we help companies to launch, grow, pivot, and thrive at outlinesventure.com. Till next time. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.